Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's up, man? I'm just sitting in your beautiful living room. You know, uh, on an earlier podcast, Shane mentioned that you're living in a mansion. Which is not true. Which is not quite true, but it is really nice. It's, it's, a, it's a good score you got here. Thank you. Uh, all the credit goes to Danica. Yeah. Are you much of a home... D- decorator guy oh you know me max i've always got the <laughs> magazines out with the different home decors no i don't care. actually when you were single yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> you're because because your previous apartment when you were with danica was very nice yeah and, like looked like you were some like kind of hot shot in toronto yeah and then you got your own place right and it was i was single and in despair max yeah, yeah. You, just yogurt and water right <laughs> <laughs> i don't even think i had that in the fridge no you didn't have that you had like some hot sauce and that was the only thing you'd ever have in the fridge and some bottles of water yeah so yeah or like chocolate <laughs> there was chocolate uh danica so danica and i were apart for a while which yeah. we talked about before in the yes. pod uh and so in that time i got this kind of like small apartment in toronto and then once we got back together, we were like, well, hey, like, let's go back to Hamilton somewhere. But before then, to save money, why don't you move into this apartment? Dan? Yeah, so it she just made sense in. that she moved right back in. And you told a story about how you were, because sometimes you'd stay there with your girlfriend, Oh, yeah, Lauren. so, <laughs> that's right. So occasionally, you and I would do an apartment swap, which yeah. is different than a girlfriend swap, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but uh, where you'd have to be in Hamilton for a weekend to visit your family. Yep. And I have to be in Toronto to visit my family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we just said, I'll just say your place, you stay in my place. And Lauren would be with me. And, and Lauren thinks very highly of Danica. Danica is a very like proper put together person. She's very impressive. And if only she listened to this pod, yeah. she would hear all these nice no, things. No, I tell yeah. her this. And, um, and, but Lauren, we were like waking up and she's like, I'm really surprised. Uh, no mentions Danica, but that Danica lives here because this, <laughs> this place is so unbecoming of her. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, I'm pretty sure Danica has not put any thought into your, the apartment at all because she just cannot wait move to, to to move back to Hamilton and get her own place. Yeah, she's just killing time. Yeah, she's and so and then I mentioned it came up in conversation when I was over at your place. Danica was over, and you mentioned the song that she would sing every morning as she was getting up for work. <laughs> She'd wake up every morning and then she would dance by the bed and she'd go, I hate this apartment. I, I hate, hate this apartment. apartment. <laughs> I hate this apartment. So she really hated that apartment. She did, and I loved it. Uh, me too. I love the apartment. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, guys don't need much. There's a guy on Twitter, shout out to uh, one of our favorite basketball writers, Network, Net, and then W3RK. He's very funny He's very if f- you're into the NBA or Game of Thrones. The Game of Thrones, yeah. And he had one funny tweet that he was like, legit, if I didn't have a girlfriend, I could live under an underpass as long as it was near a library with Wi-Fi or something like that. And I was like, I totally identify. I was like, I don't need much. So we're recording this pod in Hamilton. Exciting. Fresh start. Yes. Um, but this has been a pretty uh, big week. Some shocking stuff went down. Prince died. Prince died. How, how did you find out? Uh, I was at work. Yeah. And I was sitting there. And uh, one of my coworkers beside me, uh, Amit is his name. Um, Shout out to Amit. He listens to the pod. I don't know about that. <laughs> he. Uh, so I'm sitting there. And I kind of got my headphones on. I'm editing some stuff. And I just hear, uh, like, it sounded like, Prince died. And I go, who died? And I couldn't quite make out what he was saying. He's got like a little bit of an accent. And I thought he was saying Durst died, like Fred Durst (laughs) died. This is what I thought he said. On the cultural spectrum, cannot be further away than Prince. I was like, Limp Biscuit, Like Fred Durst? Like I I couldn't hear what he said. He's like, no, Prince died. Yeah, the S on the end. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And then I I was like really shocked. Uh Were you a big Prince fan growing up? More of a Limp Biscuit guy. No, I... (laughs) I, uh, 
I, uh, I, I liked Prince. I was aware of him. My yeah. dad dug him, but I wasn't like a live and die by Prince. I know all the hits, obviously, yeah. that like all of us know. I, d- I can't say that it was like, you know, I, I looked at Prince and I looked up to him and I wanted to emulate him. And But I always respected him because he would always like rip these bitching guitar solos. And yeah. it's like, because he was in that category of like, you kind of, he's like an icon, like Madonna or Michael Jackson or any of these other sort of like um, singular icons. Uh-huh. And because he's making pop music, you sort of think, oh, like them, he's, he's an entertainer that sort of sings and dances, which uh-huh. he did do. But he was also this sort of all world musician, you know? No, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to see. To, to to realize how many songs you actually know when, when something like this happens, when yeah. you know, you're like, oh, oh yeah, you wrote that and you wrote that and you wrote that. Now d- here's a question. D- okay, now that we're living in the social media age, yeah. do you think people are just jumping on the bandwagon and professing their love to somebody when they didn't really actually have that kind of love for the person in reality, but it's just sort of like a hip thing to do? It's a good question because... Because I feel like that was happening a little bit with the Prince stuff. And by the way, there was enough people out there eulogizing the amazing artist that Prince Prince was, and we'll do it a lot more eloquently than us, so we're going to let them do that. But all love to Prince. Prince is obviously a madman genius who wrote lots of music, yada, yada, yada. I'm kind yeah, of other people's eulogies were more uh, <laughs> articulate. <laughs> uh, were you a Prince fan? Uh, I like Prince. Yeah. I definitely, and I admire him in, like, the, the kind of, like, the dedication to the craft and the giving no f- about like what a previous expectation was put upon him because because you know he started as more of a pop star uh, and then he sort of turned into like a rock and roll like yeah. he put up Purple Rain which is a big rock and roll record and he kept on transforming himself which is why I love Bowie too it's just like I, that he didn't he never repeated himself which I thought was really cool like Bowie I listened to like yeah. in high school like I had Bowie on a lot yeah. I never had a Prince record yeah Prince is in some ways a little like. Artie or something for me. Like I like his vibe. Like I found as I got older, I dug Prince more and more. And it, like you said, he yeah, didn't you appreciate him too. Yeah, I think so. Also, you know, I was watching on Saturday night. I got home and I was watching uh, because SNL ran just. I haven't Prince. seen it. Yet. Oh, okay. I got a PVR'd. It's great. It's really awesome. I highly recommend you check that out. And um, I started doing the math on like his first performance was in like '82 or something like that. And anyway, he, st- he performed on SNL at a very young age. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, and each performance kind of gets better and better. And he doesn't seem to age either. He just kind of looks the same. I read a thing about him today where he mentioned, um, I, he, this is what he said. He said, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, um, oh, I saw you at your peak, like in concert. And he says, how do you know when my peak is? Yeah. He's like, I might peak. He's like, when I listen to my old records, I'm embarrassed of yeah. the playing. He's like, I only get better, which I think a lot of people say, which is true. But that's an interesting thought, too, in, like, a pop culture world, right? And relevance and... Well, he was such a versatile. He started, like, when he, when he first became popular, he was still way ahead of every musician that I know, right? Like, he's amazing. But it's just amazing to see, like, how much thought was put into those early performances. We're like, oh, man, this kid is in his early 20s and he's just destroying it's pretty ama- pretty amazing this is where i'm going to aggregate another podcast but did you listen to closterman talk to simmons yeah and he said uh closterman said he saw one of uh, prince's teachers talking years oh yeah ago i love in minnesota story. i highly recommend you check out bill simmons podcast if you don't listen to this one absolutely um and he, and he said it was a teacher and she's yeah. from the minnesota and she's like you know i had this student and i could never get him to do work i just couldn't get him to do his homework he didn't care yeah. about his work and i'd be like you need to do your work and he goes it doesn't matter i'm going to be famous i know I love that kid grew up to be Prince. Yeah. So sometimes they're actually right when they say that. You yeah. Know what I mean? Anyways, I always like that because it's like Prince has always been Prince. It would mm-hmm. seem. Um, but to your question originally about um, 
you know, everybody just kind of jumping on the the, the massive wave of mourning yeah. that I think we like to do as a society. I find that Twitter becomes... And, and like Facebook posts, you can consider Yeah, I don't want to say they become unbearable because people are going to grieve in whatever way they want to grieve or connect with other people. Sometimes they're not even really hurting, yeah. but they want to like... It's a way of sharing. Sharing. Like, yeah, if I true. say, oh, Prince meant this and then someone likes it, it's all part of what we all get out of uh-huh. social media. Uh, but... Yeah, it's like every time someone goes that people kind of knew there's this outpouring. Now, I mean, do, do those Facebook posts annoy you? Uh, no. Okay, I guess I'd say this, is that maybe just because Prince hasn't been like as culturally relevant in the last like, 10 years, there hasn't been as much of a chance to talk to him. But it just seemed like there's a lot of like Prince fans coming out of the woodwork there. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> okay. But but maybe, you know what, Who's, who knows? You know, cause maybe that's music that was formative to these people's like early lives or something like that. We'll never know. We'll never know. That, that, that's a little cold-hearted. You can cut that out. No, it, yeah. it's interesting. I think yeah. it is true because we all think it when we well, see it. I, I think I other people think it as well when they read those things. I guess um, I guess I kind of felt as a musician, I was like, am I obliged to say to have something to say about Prince like on the Arkells page? I, well, I think- and I like and I do like Prince. And I and I and like I've gone I've gone through a Prince phase, but I didn't I didn't have anything to say. Like I like I felt like it wasn't really my place to say to pour out my heart because it's like well if it doesn't feel authentic yeah. or you don't feel like you have anything to say then it, it it becomes artifice it's not it doesn't if it doesn't people can smell too if yeah. it's not authentic and if you're just making a statement to make a statement because you sing for the Arkells then it's like that doesn't really serve a purpose I don't think no it's true and if you're making a statement after everybody dies then it's like f- this guy yeah alright R.I.P. Prince yeah moving on today on the show Max we have Pete Yorn Pete Yorn um, I feel like you were excited about this one. You know, when the opportunity came through, you're like, let's do Pete Yorn. Yeah, I, I, I've always liked Pete Yorn. I remember hearing an interesting story about Pete Yorn. Uh, he came up at the, around the same time. I don't know if this is true or not, but he came up around the same time as John Mayer. And Col- I think there was a big bidding war between like Sony and Columbia. And Columbia ended up snagging John Mayer. And mm. Pete Yorn went with Sony. I think, it was, I think, that's, I think that's how it worked. And... John Mayer immediately was like an arena tour, basically. Exploded. And exploded. And Pete Yorn was, wasn't that. And I think by some metrics, maybe underachieved, uh, you know, to like what who is, you know, like in, in, if, if you get drafted in the same year as Michael Jordan, then you'll always be compared Certainly. to Michael Jordan. So, um, but he's actually had a great little career. And uh, and I, I don't know, I, I think there's a, something to be said for somebody who, who like who's able to continue to produce records and at a high rate and uh, and like it doesn't get jaded by the music industry. No, and tour and get out on and, the road and yeah. we, we talk about all that. Um, he's got an album out called Arranging Time, which yep. came out in 2016. We talk a bit about that. We talk about a song Halifax, which yep. we wanted to know about some Canadian content. Did we ever uh, talk about Scarlett Johansson? We did not. So yeah, so he put out a record with Scarlett Johansson, which is really good in 2009. Yeah, and it, there's a, the the best song on the record is called "The Relator," and it was the uh, the theme song for a baseball trip I went on with my dad. Like that's uh-huh. it's a really great song, uh, but I really wanted you to ask questions about Scarlett Johansson. I felt like he'd probably been asked about yeah. her so many times. No, that's I why you're a professional, and yeah. that's why I'm, I wasn't uh, gonna do it. I wasn't gonna be like, "Hi, Pete." So what was it like to hang out with Scarlett? <laughs> Is she pretty? Is she pretty? Um, <laughs> is she kind? Um, yeah, but actually, I have a bone to pick with you, Max. Yes. Um, you put in the questions as the producer. Uh-huh. We go over these questions. You wanted to know. Some, you wanted to know 
if being attractive or good looking oh, could be yeah. detrimental yeah. Uh, to one's success. Maybe because if you're like an authentic singer songwriter and you're writing songs from the heart, but then you're also kind of like, you got these good looks. Do you find it impedes you or does it sure. help your career? Yeah. It was essentially, I think, like the, the, that was the essence of the question. Yeah. I didn't really want to ask this question because it's weird to ask a man when you're standing across <laughs> from him. <laughs> hey, what's it like to be so good looking, dude? Is yeah. that like bad or good? <laughs> so I wasn't really feeling it. And we kind of talked about it in the pre-production and like you and I, yeah. and I was like, I don't know. And you're like, no, 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 but there's something there, man. There's something there. Mike, like, just ask him, Mikey. Like, it, I think it will be, it will work. So because I was already a little hesitant, yeah. I kind of like, I'm not very confident when I ask it and I stumble over it. Like I'm asking like someone out on a date. Like it is awkward. <laughs> You'll hear this in the interview, by the way, once we roll it. And the minute I ask it, he looks over at his dude who's sitting on the couch and he kind of, I'm not around. He rolled his eyes. Like oh, I really? was like, I'm not lying. He kind of just like, like a really. And I, in that moment, I was like, I am going to kill Max for putting me in this position. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you where that idea came from. I listened to this podcast. Another one I'll, I'll recommend, uh, Brett Easton Ellis, who's yeah. a writer director. He had Brandon Boyd from Incubus on the, on the show. <laughs> and like, literally it seemed to me like for 45 minutes, they just talked about how hot he was in high school <laughs> <laughs> and what, but what it's like to be a hot guy trying to make serious art. And Brandon Boyd kind of like talked about his reality. Brett, also, Brandy Sonnells is gay, too, so it's like it also felt like he was sort of hitting on Brandon Boy the whole time. <laughs> okay, and, and how would the Brandon, like, dig the line of questioning? He kind of, he totally identified with it. And it was, all I'm, th- all I'm saying is that if you're a good-looking guy, of course you're like, my life's pretty sweet. But also, if you're trying to make, like, serious music and people just, like, think of you as a pretty boy with nice hair, that might be a little annoying. Like, I think. I mean... Probably for most people, it's like, whatever, I'll, like, I'm living a sweet life, so right. I'm not really particularly bothered if people, like, think a little less of me, because I make for it, make up for it on so many other levels. But uh, anyway, the way Brandon Boyd talked about it was very honest, <laughs> and I was wondering, and he, he, you, it was clear that he had thought about it a lot, it was very introspective, and it seemed to me like the way you're making it sound is that Pete Yorn was not that interested in talking about it. No, we didn't get into that good zone where he opened up about, you know, a lifetime of being very good looking and uh, successful. Uh, but it's true. He's like a hot singer songwriter guy. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. You know, the thing which is beautiful <laughs> about this podcast is that we get to try stuff. You know, that's totally. the one thing we talk about a lot is like, you know, let's try different stuff each podcast and see you know, if we can kind of create a special moment that maybe these guys aren't getting in other interviews. And it's also good for your chops, man. No, hey, I, 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 had, to ask, I had to ask a question that I didn't necessarily want to ask, but I still did it. And yeah, you did. And you cursed me out for it. <laughs> <laughs> but it all works out in the it end. All work, and you know what? Sometimes what, there's got to be an expression about like shooting for the stars and falling on the clouds or something. And once we figure it out, we'll say it. Okay. <laughs> Let's get to Pete Yorn. All right, well, I'm going to start with the mandatory Canadian question. Uh, tell me about your song Halifax on the new record. Yes. <laughs> um, I love the idea of Halifax, uh, for sure. The song, uh, what can I tell you about it? Uh, it's kind of about getting out of your comfort zone, you know? Uh, uh, kind of shedding these um, restrictions that you might sell on yourself, kind of fear, anxiety, you know, leaving home. Traveling, like uh, leaving what you know, you mean? Yeah, for sure. Leaving your familiar surroundings, uh, for sure. And uh, I think that uh, someone 
that's close to me uh, to happen to, to live there, spend some time there, inspire the song. So that's where it, that's where it kind of came from. When you say you like the idea of Halifax, I mean, what do you mean? Sort of like small town vibe, sort of the music? Well, I love the music. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's no secret I'm a big Sloan fan. I read that. Uh, I'm yeah. a huge Sloan fan. One Chord yeah. of Another was like my, my high school jam. Yeah, I, I um, love that album. Unbelievable band. But, um, yeah, just um, this kind of sleepy, kind of coastal town energy that I feel from that. Yeah. What kind of music were you listening to when you were recording Arranging Time? Um, I was just saying, not much. When I make a record, I kind of kind of close myself off to... Uh, what's going on musically outside of me. Um, but leading up to it, I think I probably pulled some influences. Uh, but really, most of my influences come from just like interactions with people, uh, movies. Um, I think uh, sometimes new musical influences come, but like a lot of the stuff is so embedded from like when I first learned how to play guitar or drums, uh, these bands that I liked when I was like 12 years old, like it still right. just kind of comes through. So. So sonically, you're sort of like living in this place that you've always sort of been drawn to, but then like thematically, it's like whatever you're pulling from your life. Yeah, is. like the like the um, you know, this record is one of those records I make where I kind of um, layer things and just kind of build them up from the ground up. So like each track that I'll lay down, like maybe I'll lay the drums down first, and the way that those sound will kind of uh, kind of take me to what I want to lay down next, mm -hmm. uh, and. Um, you know, things typically, like, if I go in and I'm like, oh, I want to make this song sound like the Beach Boys, like, it ends up, if it ends up sounding nothing like the Beach Boys, it's probably a better thing, uh, and that'll just happen naturally in the studio, um, but, uh, yeah, like, there'll be jumping off points, but usually it changes, uh, and, uh, there's little surprises along the way that just kind of, like, pop up, and you're like, oh, wow, this sounds like, uh, you know, like, um, something completely different, so. Right, and that's probably almost a better journey to go on in some ways yeah for sure i usually kind of suck when i try like two on the nose to sound like something <laughs> it's like uh like i lose interest quick so it's better when i just kind of let like uh let it flow where it's gonna flow and then it becomes its own thing i think more often than less so even though you're not really listening to much when you're you're making a record do you you know what do you listen to in general is there anything that's happening in music right now that excites you whether it's you know big pop music or something maybe smaller alternative you know less so um let's see they were playing some amazing stuff on the bus last night like yeah. that uh what's that guy's name something gilberto it's amazing brazilian music from like 1969 i guess they call it like maybe tropicalis yeah, it was more like tropicalis yeah it was, it was cool and it was funny because you know it was after the show and we get on the bus last night and like i always have so much music in my head i'm singing all day and uh the guys were like oh i'm gonna put on some music and i was like i don't want to hear any music you know it's like <laughs> come on it's like all i hear is music and all of a sudden they put this stuff and i was like whoa this is really cool uh so it's good to have an open mind you know and like uh uh, definitely, because uh, I listen to so much talk radio. Sure. Uh, like uh, like Howard Stern, like I said, like in America, it's all I listen to is Howard She's Stern the best. Like, all day long. Um, and it's great having Siri. I didn't have Sirius Radio for like for like a year or two because for some reason my car like I first like, they screwed up and I couldn't get satellite. The satellite, yeah. And I was so I was like, oh, but then I finally got it back and I was like, oh, it's the greatest thing. Um, but uh, what other like new bands I could tell you that I like. Like, um, no, no, new. I like the Tame Impala a lot. They're a pretty interesting band, doing some cool stuff. Um, 
But uh, I don't know. I just like certain songs with certain kind of melodies that have a certain kind of emotion or they say something that's really interesting uh, and that I usually resonate. But I'm not like super snobbish with music. I, I like there's certain pop music that I like. It's really popular. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of like go back to like a lot of the same stuff that I always listen to though when I do get back to music and it's like, you know, still like the Smiths and Morrissey. Uh, you know, what else do I go back to? Um, Guided by Voices. Sure. Uh, you know, some of this kind of... Like, it's always like the music that sort of made the most imprint on us and are, are most influential. You know what I mean? It's like whatever you grew up listening to, you find you always end up going back to after a certain point, I think. Yeah, it's funny like that. Um, and it's it like, even like, like you put on like old Van Halen and like, <laughs> like that just like gets under my skin, you know, yeah. like Unchained comes on or something. And I'm just like, just like, go, <laughs> you know, it's wake me right up. Um, so yeah, you know, but like when I, when I hear like a new song that like really like, I'm like, wow, cause some, so much stuff like to, like to break through right now, I feel like there's so much pressure to just sound like everything else. Like everyone like at radio is like, oh, it's got to sound like this or that, whatever. And I feel like the best stuff that changes stuff is the stuff that like just kind of sneaks through, like has its own thing and just like doesn't sound like everything else. And I think that's like so much more important. Um, and, uh. You know, especially when you're talking about like context, you know, like maybe it sounds like a lot of stuff that was like, you know, 20 years ago, but like it doesn't sound like everything that's right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I always kind of that always strikes me like when you hear someone like and they just have like this integrity, you could just kind of feel it. And uh, they, you know, you could tell by you like that they stuck to their guns, you know, in a way. And at the same time, it resonates, you it know. It breaks through, but it's authentic. Yeah, like lyrically, it still resonates, and it doesn't matter that I even know the reference points because most people probably don't, you know, or is going to hear it for the first time. And uh, it's cool to see that. Um, and you, I just kind of know it when I hear it. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good good. Uh, good artist but I guess ultimately it's like you just gotta have something to say you know like what do you have to say yeah totally yeah I'm just gonna adjust the volume here a little bit make sure we're good you're a very subtle talker and it's it's good it's very yeah calm. sorry I talk quiet usually yeah on um, stage it's funny I feel this pressure to be like how's everybody doing tonight you know but that's a whole different energy but really if you hang out with me I kind of talk quiet yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you mentioned getting on the bus and then them putting you know the dudes putting the music on you being I don't want to hear music I guess my question is touring in general have you always loved that life being on the bus or is it taxing how do you view that i mean do you dig the camaraderie and the grind or is it something that you find a bit burdensome um or work for that matter you know anything you do um if you approach it the wrong way kind of becomes like you know repetitive or becomes quote-unquote work but like i don't know i'm so lucky to be able to play music and, and and live this life that i live that i just always remind myself like all right you're on tour your wife's at home your new baby's at home you know i miss them a little bit of yeah. course but like at the same time i'm not gonna like create two negative spaces like okay i'm not at home with my family so i'm gonna make my time on the road also be crappy because i'm just wanting to be with them like all right you need to like get into this zone and focus here and uh that's like a good exercise for sure um you know when i was a kid touring it was different i was like you know doing it well a kid i was i didn't tour till i was 27 mm -hmm. but as a kid you know and back then 
you know, it was just it was all new. It'd go crazy and just, you know, fueled by whiskey, you know, for sure the yeah. whole time. And you just do that for years and it was cool. But then after a certain point that gets old and you kinda gotta reinvent it for yourself. So like now, I don't know, like I just approach touring and like the shows more like I'm going to the gym, you know, just like like kinda like just like focus. I rather I like I just enjoy being more focused and clear and kind of experiencing it all for what it is rather than just kinda like uh kinda like feeling the boredom of the there's a lot of downtime on the road so it could become really kind of just mundane and and, and you're just kind of like reaching for these highs that you felt you know when you were jamming in your basement when you were like 16 years old you know drink a six-pack with your friends and yeah. like you kind of want that same feeling because that's what music was you know Absolutely. early on but like when you're doing it as a job like you know it's like you kind of don't want to approach it like that and i think this idea like the rock old school rock star excess all that like that flew in the 70s and the 80s and everyone's partying and doing whatever the hell they do but i feel like you know now with the way the business is and with um there's so much almost there's so much more expected of you now like with social media and everyone's got you know different outlets that yeah. you're putting putting you have to talk to and put music out i feel like it's just like it'll burn you out way faster than it would uh, in the old days so I don't know I just like to approach it more like I flipped it I'm like just more like an athlete you know and just do it that way and it's kind of been a lot more fun you know um, because the old way after a while just burns you out and it doesn't it's not fun it's like you hear all those stories those horror stories it's like it was all great and then the, behind the music the excess, <laughs> sure. and everyone's like oh and they're all in rehab and shit like that and I was like I didn't want that it's right like, after a certain point it's like you know f that it just kind of like you know, let's figure out a new way. And it took a few years to kind of like transition into that because you kind of miss the old way. Party misses that. But uh, now it's like you could approach it fresh and, and it's like it's new again. It's mm -hmm. almost like it's like you're a kid again, which is cool. It's pretty interesting. And, and like when you mentioned you read all these old things, I was watching that Eagles documentary. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's phenomenal. The yeah. first part's the best part. I mean, and the second part's all right. But then yeah. they get into the sort of later touring. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, or like the dirt, you know, any of these sort of books, they always seem like really sort of entertaining when you're kind of like watching them. But then I think to live that constantly every day will absolutely like ruin a person. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's uh, it is. And it, believe me, as a kid, like I read all that stuff. and was like, that's the dream, you know, and it's it's cool for a bit. But then, you know, you got to kind of pull it back a little bit if you want to do it for a long haul. You know, yeah. and that's, you know, you know, so that's the deal. Um, you're back in a cycle of touring right now. You're promoting a new record, obviously. But when you're not touring, how's your time spent? Like, what's a typical day look like for you at home? Oh, I'm a real simpleton. <laughs> I'm a homebody. I'm at home with my wife, and my you know, I got I got a new baby. She's only six months old. Congrats! Like, that's amazing. Dang, I'm super hands-on. Like I'm like super like daddy guy at home. Like I'm just like changing diapers, walking around <laughs> town. You know, just love. I'm loving that. You know, uh, so that's really cool, and. Uh, you know, in in between, I kind of like, you know, do my work as well. You know, play some music and get get that all done. Uh, but yeah, when I'm home, I kind of just enjoy a real simple life, just with hanging out with them, and my family. Yeah, very cool. It was being being a dad such like a, a massive sort of like life shift. Is that something that you'd always wanted, like growing up? Were you like, or were you kind of like? No, just, it's funny. I'll tell you right now. Like, I wasn't one of those guys. Who was like, I gotta have kids. Like, I I never knew if I want to really have kids. And my wife was pretty much the same way. She wasn't one of those girls who was like, oh my God, we have to have babies now. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like that. And we were both on the same page. And at some point, I figured, I figured I was going, if she says, you know, we go, we go, we'll try. And, you know, luckily we were able to 
to to try and had a good time doing that and then <laughs> we had a baby from it and yeah. uh she's the, the greatest thing people say oh it's so it's such a cool thing or other people would say it's going to change your life's going to change and you're like well what do you mean like by that what do you mean all i know is it's changed for the better like i think she's been a great focus for like all my kind of crazy brain energy that i have like all over the place and like to have this little this little girl to just focus on has been such a awesome thing for me uh and I, hopefully for her as well but uh I just, I mean, I'm just over the moon over this girl. Like, it's like the coolest thing ever. So, yeah, my experience has been good. And I got a good partner. Like, my wife is so cool. She's a great teammate. And uh, she's holding down the fort while I'm out here. So she's so cool for doing that. <laughs> it's pretty it's good sport. Yeah. Um, you've had a remarkable career so far, and it's been remarkably steady. Um, but was there any point, like, where you thought you might have to try something else, whether it was early on or even, like, throughout? Um, what comes up for me right now, early on, there was definitely a point... Um, before I got my first record deal, you know, back in like, I want to say like 98, I had been, I graduated from school, from college, and I went out to California in 96, and I opted to pursue music for a little bit, and if it didn't work out, then I was going to go to law school, um, and about three years in, I was kind of discouraged, I was like, ah, nothing's happening, I don't know, and I just was having a bad day, and I remember I said to my friend who I was uh, who, was, who had just moved out there, and he'd known me since the second grade, since we were seven years old, this kid Chauncey. I said, I was telling him, like, I don't know, I don't think I'm going to do music. And he got so pissed off. He's an Italian kid from, from Brooklyn. Then he moved to my hometown. He just, like, th literally threw me on the grass and jumped on me. He's like, you're f***ing doing this. you got to do it. And he snapped me out of it, and then, like, I kind of, like, got my shit together. And then an odd, an odd thing that happened, I was talking about before, I went and saw... Canadian band Sloan at yeah. the Troubadour and this, this very night we were so blown away by them that it was another thing I was like yeah I don't know if I even should pursue music because these guys are so good and like they should be like huge in America and they're not so I don't know is it even worth it like if these guys can't be that huge I'm like well I have no business doing anything and right after that show I walked down the street and smoking a cigarette and sure enough I meet this guy named Walt Vincent uh, who's a like, like a local producer and he said he had a little studio in Van Nuys and that would be the guy that like two weeks later I would record the first song that would be the start of music for the morning after with so like that was a big night um, where I felt like these two emotions where I like I was gonna just kind of quit and then met this guy and then we just like hit we got a little wind in our sails and then everything started to fall, fall into place and then like maybe maybe within five months I was signed to Columbia and then it all started happening Real quick, after sort of nothing doing for three years. Yeah. Do you think if Chauncey hadn't thrown you to the ground, we'd be sitting here today? It's hard to say because there's so many unknowns, you know, but that that is a big moment that I still think about. Uh, and this is this guy, year, he, after I started doing music, he said, he said he's like, I'm going to support you in this endeavor. He's a character. He's like, <laughs> he's like, but if you ever played Giant Sam, you know, we were from Jersey. He's like, if you ever played Giant Sam, you got to let me get up and play with you and jam with you. And he doesn't know how to play anything. And I was like, all right, sure, dude, sure, yeah, whatever. Sure enough, years later, Bon Jovi, like, invited us to open for them at Giant Stadium. And I thought he meant headlining. And he somehow knew before anyone knew. And he calls me. He's like, oh, I see you're opening for Bon Jovi Giant Stadium. I said, I get to play with you. And I was like, 
all right, you get to play with us. So he did, and it's actually on the internet. He comes out on stage, and I tell the story, and he's just like, yeah, it's going nuts. It's hilarious. He learned, he learned Life in a Chain on guitar. Oh, it's like, so you know, So along. simple, and he played along, and he rocked it. He was great. And uh, it was a big one. His dad was there, and uh, yeah, it was funny. It was That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> you mentioned moving to L.A., and you've lived there, I think, for most of your career, right? Yeah. Um, you've been a part of a lot of high-profile tours you just mentioned, obviously opening for Bon Jovi. Um, you've collaborated with Scarlett Johansson. Um, for an artist, do you find LA to be inspiring because of the amount of artists that live there and opportunities? Or do you find it can be like sort of competitive in a debilitating way? I don't see, I don't think so at all. I think it's just a, you know, a good place. And the world's gotten so much smaller yeah. now Like you could email tracks anywhere to anybody and just kind of like, you know, collaborate. But, you know, when I started, you know, we, you couldn't do that. But I thought there's just a good pool of creative people there you know, and I have my family there, uh, and uh, I don't know, I was just, there's a, you know, a cliche about L.A., people think it's like, you know, it's all little, little could be a strange energy for some people, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I never fell into that, really, I just kind of surrounded myself with just kind of like really down-to-earth people uh, and, and friends, I had a lot of friends that like moved out from school. Like are other artists, other musicians, or just... I don't hang much buds. with other musicians, just like regular cats, you know, regular, yeah. regular guys, but... Uh, but somehow through all that, I met other really talented uh, friends who, you know, end up producing my stuff, you know, with me. Um, so, so you know, I think it's a good place. I like the weather. You know, I was in Syracuse for four years. It was very sure. cold. I mean, you guys know a little bit about that here. But I was just ready for some, you know, some 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 nice weather. And, and uh, so I've been there a while now. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that the world has really shrunk as far as, you know, music now. You don't necessarily have to be in L.A. Um, there's been a lot made about how the music business has changed over the last 15 years. And your career began, you know, as the label world sort of began to change. It was sort of in that apex in a weird way. Can you describe sort of the periods of adjustment that you've had to make over the years as the landscape, like, shifts for recording artists? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is, like, people get lost in the mud with this. It's like music make some good music that you're passionate about and that's what it comes down to like if i'm making a song i'm not thinking about like how it's going to get out there or who's going to even listen to it really i'm just kind of just making something that that uh is taking me on a journey that resonates with me and i think that's where it always needs to start and ultimately people love music more than ever um people digest it in many different ways and that will continue to change and evolve and I don't have any control over that so um, I will say early on you know I put out my first record uh, on a major and came out in 2001 uh, and it was right you know like bef before it came out it was done for like a year before it even came out and I remember Napster had come out and I was yeah. like you know no one knew who I was but I would I was like got into Napster and I would like put some of my songs and I remember sitting for hours on my computer private messaging people on Napster who like I was like you like Jeff Buckley do you like Nick Drake check out this song Strange Condition by Pete Yorn I would just sit there typing for hours sending out all these messages doing my own kind of promo because I, I thought it was a cool thing to help get you know get people to hear what I was doing um, so I feel like you know the way you know the digitizing of music now um you know obviously it's you know there's different arguments for both sides i feel like for new artists um it's an amazing way to be able to maybe possibly get your music out there at the same time there's a lot of noise there's so much stuff out there that's just like you can't even pay attention you know yep um uh and it's cool to see how like as a reaction to how kind of 
the access to music is so easy now. You just get everything at a touch of a button, and you got everything in your phone. Like vinyls become, you know, more popular than it's been probably since the eighties. You know? Sure. Because yeah. um, I think people are reacting like they just want to have another experience where they just put on a side and they chill out and they listen to a record side. So um, I think that's that's cool too. And like this record that I made now, you know, Arranging Time, uh, the plug of Arranging Time. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. um, I really like. I spent two months sequencing it. Like I really wanted to play as a whole record, not just like, you know, a single and some other tunes. Like I wanted to feel uh, like like every song was an event. Um, so I was kind of old fashioned, but like, I don't know, there's still part of me that just wants to present it that way. Uh, even though I'm all for people breaking it up and playing it in any order that they want, you know? So, right. so. Did you think that there was something about, you know, the record experience, like front to back that people will get out of arranging time more so than if they break it up and listen to it as individual tracks? I think it has a really nice flow to it, um, the way that I presented it. But um, but at the same time... Consume know, it how you want to consume it? it. Consume it, absolutely. I'm not going to say you know, it has to be this way. Um, because I really, you know, I'm kind of... I'm that open about it because it changes for me too, you know, like to me, you have to commit to a sequence if you want to do that, but it still changes for me. And sometimes I'll hear songs in different orders and I'll be like, oh, that's kind of cool flow too. So, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you listen to podcasts, but Brett Easton Ellis has a podcast, which is pretty outrageous. He interviews a lot of interesting people, but he, he asked uh, this question to Brandon Boyd of Incubus and it's a weird question, but as talking with my producer, we've always kind of been curious about like musicians who are like sort of naturally good looking. Do you think, because I think you fall into that category, that like... <laughs> really? No. Okay. <laughs> Do you think that looks have gotten in the way of sort of people taking art more seriously if you're sort of a singer-songwriter, singer or do you think it helps? I don't or do you know. think it doesn't matter? I, I mean, think if you're good, you're good, you know? And if you're good looking, then you're easier to look at, great, you know? But at the end of the day... I think I think if any like it might I think it helps some crappier songwriters like if they're <laughs> if they're good looking and girls have crushes on them or whoever has crushes on them uh, they'll move more they might not be paying attention to like what they're actually going on about yeah uh, but like if you're good and you're good looking I mean you just you got the jackpot yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> that's interesting so so like if you're sort of like a good looking singer songwriter maybe the music isn't up to snuff you'll move more records but I don't think you'll get the collective respect from maybe the industry. So I don't know about anybody's respect or anything. I'm just saying that um, in the short haul, um, people might be more attracted to an image than actually what's going on behind the image. Um, uh, and if you get respect from any fans, you know that's that's valid for yeah. sure. Whoever that is. Um, but uh, but you know, ultimately, just about you know, for me anyway, I've been you know. It's I've fallen under the spell of certain pretty face for sure, you know, in music. But uh, at the end of the day, it's like, do you want to listen to it still, or do you just want to look at it, you know? Sure. So, yeah. All right, last question. You mentioned that if things hadn't worked, you would have gone to law school. Um, I guess with time and perspective, if you weren't doing this, what do you think you'd be doing? Do you think it would be in law, or do you think you would have found something else? I don't know. I think over the years, I've definitely gotten more into like um, psychology. And stuff like that, and just how people think, and the, the the mind, and how I think, and you know what 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 limits me, and you know how I get in my own way, and all that sort of stuff. And I know that that's for sure a universal thing in, in people, you know. Uh, so I think I, 
I'd be some sort of a psycho psychologist or something. Right. Yeah. Cool. But right, I think man. in a weird way I'm doing that now, you know, in the, the, my music in some 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 different kind of way, you know, where people have come to me and said like, you know, it helps them, you know, figure out stuff in their life or figure out, you know, uh, figure out what they're feeling and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't know. I see it as like a natural, kind of just a natural kind of uh, uh, progression. Cool. Well, thanks for your time, man. My pleasure. Great talking. To you. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah, dude. All right. We are now in the dessert. Uh, it is me, Max, and our good friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's going on? As uh, you know, Mike, we just went on a road trip. With the nut. With the nut to celebrate the Raptors getting their ass kicked. <laughs> uh, and yeah, one of the... So, so me, you, my brother, and the nut all went down to Indianapolis uh, to watch the Raptors play on the road against the Pacers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. And last year, we went to Washington. With the nut. And they got their asses kicked. That is also true. So we were kind of like uh, trying to break the curse and go again, mm -hmm. uh, this time to Indianapolis, of course. And uh, we were feeling good. Raptors fans were everywhere. Everywhere. Like, it was like a huge, annoying gang walking around Indianapolis very cocky, just chanting Raptors. Proud stuff. Canadians. Yeah. Uh, they had a like a, what is that called? Outside of the Pacers Arena, they had like a little ragtime band, like they're like, ba -na -ba -na -ba -na -na. Yeah. you know, and it's like, you know, they get people into it. But all of these Raptors fans had taken over downtown Indianapolis, and we were just like, people were taking turns jumping in the middle of the band and like dancing. Oh wow! Like but anywhere like uh, indie people were playing, Indianapolis people were playing music. There'd be a shit ton of Raptor people drunkenly dancing and just going, "Let's go Raptors!" No, that's so Any obnoxious. song would turn into "Let's a Go chance. Raptors." Oh, wow. But I will say, because Canadians are so nice, whenever the band would stop, everyone would give them a huge round of applause. Mm -hmm. Like, like they, some money. they were, they were very like they like the accommodating the to yeah. our annoying behavior. Because I don't think anybody pays attention to this ragtime band normally, <laughs> and it was like 50 <laughs> Canadians just dancing like and wiggling their fingers and chanting. Awesome. It was like a street party. That's cool. So I'm like, oh, we're actually going to like kick their asses tonight, and I'm all excited, I'm all drunk, feeling good. <laughs> get to our seats, and they give us this little uh, Indianapolis like like towel. Like it's a perfect size for a towel. <laughs> like a <laughs> what ejaculate towel <laughs> but you know it's like that perfect size towel they give so everyone's like oh sweet souvenir like you know but we throw it under our seats yeah because like you know we're we're here to support the raptors yeah <laughs> instantly as soon as tip off three-pointer we're down seven right away i'm like oh shit it's happening like the curse has begun mm -hmm. and then it just it didn't get better from there yeah, it started being humiliating. Like every time it was I had a very humiliating game. Every time I had to pee, I just like hung my head in shame, and people would just say something in my face, like "Not so good now, are you?" It's yeah. like we the shit, you know, like uh -huh. instead of we the north. And uh, then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's clever. And then I ended up just like I got so embarrassed, I just turned my, I picked my little towel up and buttoned up my uh, coat to cover my Raptors T-shirt. Yeah. And then I just put on my uh, towel as an Indianapolis like headband, oh, nice. and I started rooting for the Pacers. Oh, way more fun that way! 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought it would be kind of a funny thing. Like, <laughs> this will be funny. even and, and some of the people behind me were liking it, like yeah. how I turned, because I was clearly a Raptors yeah. fan at the beginning. <laughs> and then Mike goes, I know what you're doing, and you better f***ing stop doing it, because I'm going to get furious. Yeah, Mike, <laughs> Mike is so serious watching basketball. Yeah, he was deadly serious. So then I, I stopped doing uh, that. So then... Uh, <laughs> The game's f***ing over. The game's like a wash. Who gives a shit? So we're trying not to get too down on it because we came to party first and foremost. <laughs> oh, the nut hooked us up too. We got to go to a, a private box for about 10 seconds because <laughs> we got kicked out of it promptly. But P.K. Subban. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the Montreal Canadiens. Yes, he was there in a box. Who was he there with? Uh, the girl. Yeah. There's yeah. Some, there's I some actually didn't even realize he was in the box until he was leaving. And then um, someone was like, oh, that was P.K. Subban. And I was like, yeah. Nice. So that was cool, and then we got a free like uh, drink out of it. Nice. And then the game ended, and we went to a bar. And some, another uh, thing that uh, normally doesn't happen happened, which is we all made a uh, tattoo pact <laughs> at, at the bar. <laughs> this is all true. <laughs> but and, then, then, and you mean that happens just about every time? No, because I'm like, the I'll get anything tattooed on me of course. at any time. Yeah. Anyone knows that. I've yeah. got like, you know, girlfriends, mementos all over my body, infinity <laughs> symbols, and like <laughs> the thing my sister got. Like, what is that? We'll have to post these to Instagram, by the way. Yeah. We will. We'll post all the... An like, onk, yeah. And I have a flamingo <laughs> and uh, a bunch of weird shit. So I get excited when a tattoo pack goes down. Sure. Like we're drunk at this bar in Indianapolis, and there's a Braveheart poster behind us. Yeah. And the Braveheart <laughs> poster has Mel Gibson, painted face, with the quote that says, every man dies, but not every man really lives. But we're so drunk, we think this is the best quote ever. <laughs> like it's speaking to us. Oh, so you guys were like not laughing we just at it. Dr- we just driven eight hours in Indianapolis and we're, we're together. You're so, so proud of yourself. We were like, that's mistakes. actually true, you know? Like, <laughs> like we're out here living our lives. We drove not eight like hours. Those suckers back in yeah. Hamilton. And it's like we kind of died out there on the, the battlefield, which was the basketball court that night. <laughs> so we're, we're feeling like, and when Mike says he's getting a tattoo, by the way, like, it's crazy. Like, I get excited because I, I was in. I did not ever picture. Everyone was going to agree to that slogan. I'm getting uh, very pumped to get this. Uh-huh. But then Greg wanted to change it to uh, <laughs> every man lives, but not every man really dies. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Which didn't make any sense. We were like, okay. Like, it's kind of funny to switch the, the turn of phrase. And then we started uh, walking to the tattoo shop. And then the nut. Who's he's ready to get a ridiculous tattoo too? He's like, what if we go to a strip club? And then we're like, yeah, strip club, strip club. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, we're kind of like ADD children. Like a new idea gets brought up, and then uh, I'm like, oh, what if we go like pre-drink back in our rooms? So uh, we're like, yeah, like eventually I convince everyone to let's go pre-drink in our rooms. Okay, and you're allowed to walk and drink with the beer outside too. Oh, you can. Okay, anywhere. I brought a beer into a Starbucks. Oh wow. I don't think you're allowed to do that, <laughs> but I did it, and no one said yeah. shit to me. Yeah, so you didn't get arrested or no. ticketed or anything. So that, that was awesome. Uh, anyway, we end up going to the room, pre-drinking. Then we go to this awesome club that kind of reminded me of the Nashville Club, oh, where yeah. you got up on stage to sing. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. live music. Taking requests? Taking requests, yeah. everything. Birchall's throwing 20 bucks on stage to play songs. Having an awesome night. Then, you know, an hour goes by, we're super f***ed up, we're like, okay, let's go to White Castle. Nice. End up eating, like, 15 burgers. <laughs> nice. And the White Castle was, like, right beside our hotel where we stayed at. Yeah. But we still can't find the hotel. <laughs> 
And I'm like, okay, let's go in a cab. Even though it's like, I know we're a minute away, but we're yeah. just going to get in a cab. <laughs> so we see a cab in the uh, White Castle drive-thru. Mm-hmm. So we just hop in the back without, we just open the door and hop in and he's like, oh, I'm just having a dessert pop. All right. Where do you want to go? Because <laughs> he just got like a, a cheesecake dessert pop. And then we tell him the address and he's like, oh, and just drives us there. <laughs> and we're like, oh, thank you. Uh, what'll that, that be? And he, he's like, uh, well, you got any cash? And we're like, uh, yeah. And I pull out what I think is a $10 bill. Yeah. But it's a $1. Uh-huh. So he's like, uh, he's like... It's uh, it's only three dollars, but I uh, can't take credit. Uh-huh. And we're like, oh, what the? F-? He's like, we're like, well, all we have is credit, and it's getting kind of contentious. And you were the only person with cash on. I only had a dollar. Yeah, no mm-hmm. one else had money. Okay. And then, so it's getting kind of contentious. <laughs> this is the dumbest and situation I'm, ever. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna charge you ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg, who's our cheapest friend, was the only one who had uh, like a, a a credit card or whatever. But Greg's so drunk, he just goes, okay, and pays it. Oh, wow. But I'm actually kind of pissed. Uh-huh. So uh, we leave, and I go, Reggie Miller f***ing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and Reggie was, like, one of the all-time greats for the Indiana Pacers. Yeah. And I'm like, ha-ha, like, got him with a good burn before we left. Sure, yeah. Instantly, I do the, the, the three taps that every guy does, yeah. like, for my phone, my, my keys, and my wallet. Yeah. I realize one of the taps is missing. Oh, no. The bulge where my phone is is gone. <sighs> I go to do a quick run uh, to the cab driver, and he's peeling out. So I'm like, my phone's gone. Oh, God. Luckily, the uh, Greg paid through PayPal. I don't know how <laughs> PayPal works. Okay. So we were able to track down uh, our driver's name. Oh, okay. His name is uh, Rodney Crumb. <laughs> 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 and we emailed them like, oh, hey, sorry, sir. Uh, we, we, you know, we had a affair with you tonight. And not an affair, but like a <laughs> affair. I did suck his <laughs> but that's such a thing. <laughs> not married yet. And, um, and then he didn't respond. So I lost my f-ing phone then. Oh, he hasn't got back to you? No. And we're in Canada now. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going to. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow us at Mike on Much on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the artwork is provided by Jenna Gregory. You can find her stuff at jennadoodles.com. A uh, big uh, shout out to Greg Stewart. Who's, yeah. Uh, I don't know what he is in relation to the show, but uh, he's very supportive and he's one of the reasons why we get guests on the show. Yes. So, so special shout out to Greg Stewart for, for being, uh, you know, a good pal. And, and I- I would say a lot of the interviews you hear, including the Pete Yorn interview you heard this episode, we do those in Greg's office. He's nice enough to just let us use his office as a space to record these interviews. So thank you, Andy Greg. Andy sends us like a little funny email after he listens to the pod. Yeah. He does, yeah. Like, ah, oh, this is my favorite part. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that stuff goes a long way. He's great. But uh, yeah, if, you, if you're a fan of the show, subscribe on iTunes, uh, leave a comment, and uh, tell your friends. Spread the word. The Mike and Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman, and I am your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.